0: Hello, ECC family. We're the Fredericks, and we're going to read the morning scripture to you. It's from Acts 2, 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now that we're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they said, asked one another, what does this mean? Some of them, however, made fun of them, said, well, they've had too much wine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Most of you, I'm sure, know the, the misery of sitting in a waiting room and sitting there a little too long. Uh, just this week, I went to see a doctor and was in a waiting room and was thinking about that. Uh, and when I was younger, they could fool me. You know, you go to that first waiting room and then they move you to the next waiting room. And I used to believe that meant something was going to happen. But I've come to learn that's just a little trick to make you think something's going to happen so that now you'll wait a little bit longer someplace else. And usually someplace that doesn't even have magazines, you know, it's just another spot. I've known enough doctors and friends with enough doctors to know that the reality is that usually you're not waiting because doctors and nurses are sitting around twiddling their thumbs somewhere. It's usually because there's just a lot more of us than there are of them. But that doesn't really make the waiting easier. Uh, I don't like to wait. It's, it's hard for me to do so. I'm really not very good at it. They, they name the room that to let you know that's your job, right? It's just to simply be there. That's your only job, to wait, to wait on the one that you're waiting for, for them to come do their job. It's all you have to do. It's actually a pretty simple job, but I find it hard for some reason. A few years ago, I tried to uh, take on the job that wasn't mine in a waiting room, I went to the hospital uh, on a Saturday night, which is not a good time to go to the emergency room, but I went. Turned out to be because I had kidney stones uh, and went to the emergency room, and they took me back to one of those rooms where I was to wait for a doctor, and things moved pretty quick for a little while, and then big accident happened, lots of people came into emergency, and they were taking care of the people they should have been taking care of, who were much more crisis than I was in, and everything stopped. I think I got to the waiting room that, I mean, to the emergency room that night, somewhere like around nine o'clock. I did not leave the next day until the sun was coming up. And most of those hours, I sat alone in a little room wondering if anything was ever gonna happen. And I, as I mentioned, I'm not great at waiting, it's not one of my strengths. Uh, Again, they had good reason to not be with me, but I had a hard time with it. And at some point, as morning was coming, I just thought, I can't wait anymore. I'm done. So I stepped outside of my main job of waiting, and I decided I was ready to go home. It was over and done. The problem was that they had given me IVs the night for some things, and I still had that little contraption on my arm, you know, taped on my arm. I decided to remove that myself because I was going home, and I couldn't find a doctor or nurse to do it for me. Uh, We'll leave the details out. I will just tell you it wasn't a pretty picture. I should have waited till someone with the skill and knowledge came to do that task. Uh, I didn't. It didn't help my evening go any faster because I took that into my own hands. Waiting. Tough job. So when I read Acts chapter 2, beginning of Acts chapter 2, I think, man, that must have been a tough time of waiting for the disciples. must have been tough. Because remember their situation. Um, You know, not that many days earlier, they had gone from the lowest low to the highest high. They had gone from the cross to the resurrection. And then, for 40 days, Jesus is appearing to them and he's teaching them, he's instructing them in, in what has happened and what will come. All of those things. And Scripture tells us, Luke tells us that that God opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. That Jesus was revealing to them how all the law and the prophets and the Psalms all pointed to Him. And Jesus even revealed to them what the prophets didn't understand, really a secret of sorts, the mystery. That, that even though the prophets thought, you know, all these things are coming, the suffering servant, the resurrection of dead, the, the reign of the Messiah, that all those things were going to happen as some singular event. Jesus revealed to them that that's true, but there's more to the story than just that. Theologian Michael Horton explains it this way. He says, Even the resurrection of the dead has begun with Jesus as the first fruits. It has come. Jesus is raised from the dead. The last judgment has been inaugurated with the Spirit's convicting and justifying work. The last judgment has come. And the age to come has indeed Dawned in this present age, the kingdom has come. However, and here's the rest of the story. There is between his two advents, between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, an intermission in which the Spirit empowers his witnesses and their hearers to be brought into the kingdom of Christ, even Gentiles, even you and I, before the dreadful day of the Lord. And Jesus announces that I'm going to leave and I'm going to come back. But in that in-between time, what Horton calls an intermission, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is going to come and be with you. He says in Acts 1-5, John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is your mission. You will be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses of all you've learned and heard and seen and experienced in Christ. Uh, Luke goes on to describe it as the wonders of God are what they testified to and witnessed to. And chief amongst those wonders of God had to be what he accomplished through his son, Jesus Christ, and sending him on our behalf. You're going to testify to those things, be a witness to those things. They have seen so much. They have have spent time with the risen Christ. They even saw him ascend up into the sky, into the clouds. And when he was ascending into the sky, two heavenly beings came and stood with them and said to them, he is going up into heaven, but he will one day return as he's gone away. They've experienced all of that. Someone tells me a little secret, or I experienced some little kind of exciting thing. I can't wait to tell people about it. Imagine all they have learned, how the scriptures suddenly have come together for them. All they experienced with Christ, all they have seen. And Jesus said, wait. Go to Jerusalem and wait. Wait in Jerusalem together. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And they did. Fortunately, they didn't have to wait too long, because on the day of Pentecost... Uh, the Holy Spirit did come. Pentecost is a word that simply means 50th. Uh, It was a Jewish festival that took place in Jerusalem every year, 50 days after Passover. So this feast of Pentecost was one of three Jewish feasts that uh, people made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for every year to celebrate. So this would have been a time when Jews from all over the known world would have been in Jerusalem on that day. And it was, a, it was a feast that occurred to celebrate the harvest. It was the end of the barley harvest, and it was the beginning of the first fruits of the wheat harvest. I don't think it is a coincidence that God chose this day for the Holy Spirit to come because this is the day he was going to empower his people to go out and witness to what they had seen and experienced from God to all of the wonders of God and bring in a harvest of people for Christ. This is the day that they would begin to experience those first fruits of what had been accomplished in Christ and to bring those out to the world around them. So not a strange day to have the Holy Spirit come. And they waited. They waited for that day to come. And really, there are just two points that I want to make from the passage today. And I think they're actually pretty obvious, simple points, but important. First, These disciples, these followers of God, were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And second, they were sent to witness to the world. So first, empowered by the Spirit. If there's one thing that I think Luke is trying to drive home in this passage, is that when the Holy Spirit came, it was an experience of incredible, awesome, mind-bending power. When the Holy Spirit came, power was present with him and came with him. And And if they were going to accomplish this mission that they were called to, it was a mission that they needed, that required, it's why they had to wait. It required power from outside themselves and from beyond themselves. It's a power that had to come from someone beyond themselves. I'm reaching that age where, you know, you start doing even more and more reflecting back on your life. Kind of looking back. How did I do? How did things go? And Uh, As I look back on my ministry as a pastor, there is a lot that I look back and I am incredibly thankful for. There's a lot I look back and I feel blessed that God allowed me to be a part of what he did in in his church and in individual lives, and, and I'm thankful for that. But when you look back, you also find some things you regret. And I would say the top of my regret list when I look back is I look back and I think of all those times when I tried to accomplish what God had called me to do in the power of my own flesh in a way that really just depended upon my, my own intuition and my own knowledge and my own creativity and my own effort that I really didn't turn to God and seek from Him the guidance and the power that was needed to accomplish those things He called me to. Uh, I'm thankful that God in His grace often does a good work even despite our arrogant belief that we're the one accomplishing it. Uh, and I can look back and see many times God did that. But it, but it saddens me. There's a sense of loss when I think of, man, what, what could I have experienced and been a part of and seen God do if more and more I would have just remembered I can't do this apart from Him. Don't run ahead of Him. You need Him if this is going to be a work that is lasting and that matters. And a real sense of just sadness that so often it was about me and not about depending upon him. They were told to wait. They had to wait for this power to come that was needed for them to do the ministry that they were called to do. And if you look at the world around us, I think we are often taught that the power to do what is truly meaningful the power to to solve problems in your own life or to have an impact in the lives of others, that you can look deep within yourself and you will find what you need. That power resides somewhere deep in you and all you have to do is believe in yourself and look deep within yourself and let that well up in you and drive your efforts towards the world outside of you. But the Bible teaches that the distortion and corruption that came with sin isn't just out there. It's also in here. It's in our own hearts and minds. And that depending only upon ourselves will never be enough to accomplish the work that God wants to accomplish in this world and that needs to be accomplished. They had to wait on the Spirit because apart from the Spirit, they simply could not do the work that needed to be done. And again, if there's anything Luke wants you to understand, is when the Spirit came, power came with him. He is our powerful God. He says, a sound like blowing of a violent wind was heard when the Spirit came. I remember traveling across uh, the coast in southern Mississippi right after Hurricane Katrina with some people from the church here. We went down there to do some work. And I remember driving through there right after Katrina and just in shock at the devastation that was done by that storm. I'd just never seen anything like that. I I didn't understand that wind... And water could accomplish what had happened there. And when we sat and listened to some people tell stories of going through that storm, I can't imagine what it was like to hear that raging outside your walls. Uh, They heard a wind like a violent storm, like a violent wind coming as the Holy Spirit came. I think God is driving home. The one who comes to you is powerful. And he says it was like tongue of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them, and each of them was filled with the Spirit. Throughout the Old Testament, we see times where the Holy Spirit uh, filled people for temporarily, an individual or a group of people, for a specific task or to face a specific situation. But here now we see the Holy Spirit comes upon every one of them and fills every one of them to fulfill this remarkable mission that God is calling them to. Peter, in just a moment, will tell us in his sermon that this that they were experiencing is what the prophet Joel prophesied about. The time in the last days when God would pour out His Spirit on all people and everyone who calls upon the Lord will be saved. That's what they needed, the power of the Holy Spirit. It's what we still need to do this work that we're called to to witness to the world and to be his church. And that's the second thing. They were sent to the world. Power came from beyond them, but also they were sent to the world. Uh, Again, I don't think a strange coincidence that Pentecost was the day chosen for the Holy Spirit to come because the world was present there with them. People of different cultures and different places and different dress and different languages all in this one place that day. And that day, as they are filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak. Luke tells us they spoke about the wonders of God. They began to, again, proclaim and witness to their great God. But everybody heard what they were saying in their own native tongue. would, I'm told it would have been common in that time that probably most people who were there in Jerusalem that day spoke a couple of common languages of Greek and Aramaic. Wouldn't have been their native tongue, but most probably spoke one of those two languages. But that isn't how the Spirit chose to reveal the truth to them. He went to them and spoke to them in their own native tongue. Changed so that they could hear the words that were being proclaimed. And what was most theirs, most comfortable to them, what was most uniquely them, that's how they received the truth. I think this is a reversal of what happened in Genesis 10. Genesis 10. In Genesis 10, in defiance and rebellion and arrogance against God, the people of the world began to build the Tower of Babel. And God judged them by confusing their language where they couldn't understand each other and separated them across the planet. But now we see God making so that they share that every language they can understand and they come together. That in the gospel and what Christ has accomplished, there is now a unifying and a coming back together. Around him. And again, something that can only be accomplished because God accomplishes it. And Luke goes into great detail, doesn't he? To the point it's a little boring to hear the list of places. Luke wants you to not miss there were people from everywhere, every place. And those places would have, those people would have looked different from those different places, dressed different, had very different cultures, had very different likes and dislikes. These were a group of very diverse people who now heard the truth in the gospel, each in their own language. I think this is the first fruits, the first taste of what is described in Revelation, when a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, will be praising Christ. What I love in this passage is that God didn't start building his church by by kind of homogenizing everyone into one little group that all looked the same and sounded the same and dressed the same and acted the same. Instead, he pulled together this very diverse group, reached out into this very diverse group and unified them around the truth of Jesus Christ, unified them around relationship with God. That's what unified them, not all these other things. That is hard to do. It is so much easier to build unity around uh, all the kind of sameness that's most obvious, right? If you want to build unity, if you want to do it quick and you want to be in control of it, the best way to do it is find some of those common things that we see and feel every day, the things that are easy to, to know are true of us. We can easily connect to one another in those things and to come together around those things. That's not the church. That's not how the Holy Spirit built His church. He built His church by pulling people from different places and different languages and different cultures and bringing them together and making them one and not not squashing all those differences, not asking them to be hidden, letting all of that difference and diversity be a part of the beauty of the church. Because if the church is going to reflect our Creator, then it is going to reflect all those differences because that is the beauty of our God and our Creator. That is His creativity. That is what best reflects Him is when we let that be a part of it. Now, I'm not saying things, differences that have to do with rebellion against God or acts of defiance against Him. I'm talking about all the kind of differences that just simply reflect uh, the creativity of how God made our world and made people. That ought to be the church. Now, I'm no historian, uh, for sure. But I imagine that throughout the history of the world, there has always been places around the world where there is some kind of hyper-nationalism or hyper-tribalism. There have been times when there are divisions about race and ethnicity. Uh, There have been times when there's division about rich and poor and all those things. And it's not hard right now in our world to go looking for those things. It's not hard in our own nation to go looking for those things. We find lots of reasons to divide and lots of kind of shallow reasons to come together. I think when we look at the church, Scripture teaches us that if God builds it, it should be something different than that. It should be something where those differences, we, don't, we not only don't try to push down, we, we celebrate them. They are part of what makes God's church a reflection of our God. They're what make us a good witness to our God because we are that kind of community. If we are that kind of church, I think we would look something like the church that we see in Acts chapter 2. This is the church that grew out of that very diverse group of people. That people with different languages and dress and colors of skin and people who spoke different languages and all these things, when they came together, this is what this church looked like that God built in Acts chapter 2, a passage you all know well. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I love that phrase at the end. With glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. This is the real thing. Anybody that was a part of it, anyone who saw it, anyone who experienced knew this was the real thing. And why is this the real thing? Because the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This community of diverse people who came together and were the kind of community we all dream of being. Every... This passage read all the time because we long to be that kind of community where we share life together that way, where we are that committed to each other, where we carry each other's burdens that way. This very diverse group of people who became that kind of community, to become it, they needed God to do it for them, to do it through them and to do it in them, just like we do. I, I long for us to be that kind of community to be diverse. I think we need to be intentional about that. People from different walks of life, people from different socioeconomic groups, people of different races and ethnicity and different languages. We ought to work hard to be that kind of community, but our efforts will not ever make that happen. We need to pray. We need to seek God's guidance, and we need to lean on his power if we're ever to be that kind of church. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege it is uh, that we, as your people, get to be a part of proclaiming the wonders of our God, and there is so much to proclaim. Uh, I love that we come together every week, that we sing your praises, that we, that we speak about your word, and that we, we teach the things that you've taught us, that we stop together and we remember who you are and what you've done and what a great and awesome God you are. I pray, Father, that we wouldn't just hold that to ourselves but that we would share that with the world around us, that we would share it in our words, we would share it through our actions, we would even share it through the kind of community that we seek to be. And Father, we know, we acknowledge that will never be possible apart from the power of your Spirit. And we pray, Father, that your Spirit would work in this place to make us the kind of church that you want us to be. In your blessed name, amen.